ever get the uneasy feeling that you've been fed a lie? Not just any lie, but one that you have believed your entire life and which has guided many of your decisions. Most of the time, we shake off this feeling and go about our lives. But what if that feeling was the key to unlocking everything? I'm Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, and on each episode of The Big Lie, we'll reveal a new lie that once uncovered has the power to transform your relationships, career, and life. Let's do this. Do you enjoy having great ideas, but not being heard? Or worse, having someone repeat them and get all the credit? Are you happy to continue delivering great work only to be passed over and watch as others from outside the company or your peers get the job? Would you benefit from being part of a community whose focus is on developing the interpersonal skills needed to elevate your career? Hi, I'm Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, and I just launched such a community on Slack called Unlock You. If you believe unlocking interpersonal skills is a crucial part of elevating your career, I would love for you to join us. Enrollment is currently open and free. You can go to www.connectioncounselor.com and click on the link to join us. See you soon. Welcome to The Big Lie, the show that changes everything. Each episode, we have a different guest share the lie that once you realize it's a lie, it changes everything. Today, we have a very special guest. Doris Young-Boyer is a keynote speaker, published author, and protocol consultant on the behaviors that create a powerful presence, peak performance, and bottom line results. She has expertise and experience in leadership development, leadership behavior, and leadership performance. Doris is a thought leader on gracious, powerful leadership, which she describes as the result of intentionally choosing and using relationship-focused behaviors as the default in leading others. Welcome, Doris, to the show. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Yeah, and so excited to have you on. I know you will soon be adding podcaster to, uh, <laughs> to, to to some of those titles in addition to author. So I'm excited to see how that shapes out. I'm looking forward to um, being a podcaster and getting to talk with people like you about your ideas and the kinds of things that you do. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, let's get to know you a little bit better. Um, Tell us a little bit about what makes you happy or what makes you sad. Hmm, I like that question, what makes you happy? Beautiful things make me happy. Just beauty in in general. Um, Walking down the street, seeing a a plant come up through the sidewalk or... um, a beautiful object in a store that, or a beautiful table setting, beautiful bright colors. They just give a boost to my spirit and they make me happy. So let me ask you, is there, um, 
Is there a particular element that, that, that you find particularly beautiful? I mean, you mentioned colors and shapes or like, like how do you, like, have you noticed like certain things appeal more to your sense of beauty than, than maybe others? That's a great question. Um, I certainly like nature. I like the, the sky. I like um, a sky with beautiful thick clouds. I like a sunset. I find that very intriguing how the sun as it's coming down may change to red or orange or other colors as it comes down. I like ripples in the water just to walk by a, a lake, a pond, or even a puddle and just see how it moves and you see those little ripples. I just find all of that intriguing because it's not something that I created or you created. It's just part of creation. And I get to see it without any cost, um, without any uh, fuss. It just happens. That is that is so fabulous. Well, what I love about those sentiments, Doris, what it makes me think of is the beauty is there for the I don't want to say taking, but for like the experiencing, right? Like it's, it's exactly. all around us. If you can, if you can see it, if you can take a moment and see it and, and um, not only see it, but recognize it for the beauty that it is, mm -hmm. that is also free. Yeah. All we have to do is just open our eyes and our heart to it. Boy, that is just amazing. Now I can purchase a beautiful product, but I can't purchase a sunset. I can't Absolutely. purchase the ocean. I mean, that is just there for everyone. I had a, an experience that sticks with me. Uh, my husband and I took our son white water rafting. We huh. were in a raft with another gentleman and we did not know what we were doing. And so <laughs> we kept going around and we kept going around in circles and the group was leaving us and we were getting very nervous because we were uh, in, um, in Delaware and the water was getting a little choppy. And out of nowhere, a, a, a gentleman came and he showed us how to use the oar as a rudder. And just as we got started, we saw our group going off to the right, off in this little area. So we were able to catch up with them. As we got through, there was this vault, I guess you'll call it, where the water and the sky and then that mid portion meet. And as we came through, I thought, oh my God, is this so beautiful? Did you, did you see that? And they were all like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? We're trying to catch up with the group. It was my moment. It was the most beautiful um, view based on having been lost and thought we were gonna lose the group, just coming out into this beautiful atmosphere, sky, water, the middle part of it, it was just amazing. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Doris. So let's proceed to our launching point. And you were kind enough to share with me uh, an opening line from an essay. This is from Everything Matters by Ralph Marston, who's outlining a philosophy for leading ourselves as well as leading others. So I'll read the opening line and then uh, we can discuss. Everything you do makes a difference. Every thought you think, every comment you make, every action you take in some way 
will change things for you and your world. So tell us, Doris, what does this mean to you and how has this impacted sort of for Dove's Tales with your perspective of leadership and the impact people make in the world? It seems so large to say that everything makes a difference, the little things and the big things, but it is very, very true. And it's it's not been a linear journey for me to learn this. It's been bits and pieces of things. And then all of a sudden it came together. Mm. When I was working in corporate in, uh, America as a human resources executive, we would do succession planning. And very often there would be someone who was ready to go to the next level, um, be it vice president or director or EVP. And when we would sit around and talk about that person's credentials and the body of work and getting everybody to sign off, they'd say, well, you know, he'll be, he'll be great technically for the job, or she'll be great technically for the job, but, but there's just something. She's not ready or he's not ready. When we would dig deeper, we would find out that it was the little things that that person was snarky with their staff or inconsiderate with them or demanding without telling them how something should be done, not being pleased with the result. And that person who thought they were going to get that next promotion that they were shooing and was waiting for it did not get it. Mm. And it was a little thing that became a big thing. And it's something that we did, we could have corrected a long time ago to let that person know that how you process things, how you lead people matters. And so for me, it's been part of my journey, part of my work to talk about those little things. How does this make you feel? Uh, How did you resolve that conflict? What do you wanna do about this and why? To get people to see that those things matter in terms of getting an outcome that is gonna be positive and sustainable. So let me play devil's advocate for a second, right? So someone in that position is like, you know, not to you, Doris, but I'm just going to use your name, you know, figuratively. But Doris, I did everything the company asked me to do. I delivered X, Y, and Z. I don't understand why I'm not getting promoted. What are they missing? Well, sometimes they're missing. Sometimes they know and they just decided not to spend the time on, on the how. Sometimes they may not know that they did not complete the job in a, and I'll say civil way, because generally that's what we found was the the issue. Mm -hmm. And generally they will, you know, sometimes they won't stay because they were looking for that promotion then. They may leave the company and go someplace else. And the concern then is that that how, knowing how to do things is never fixed. And they will turn that into the way they work on the the next job. Well, what I find fascinating about that is, you know, that inability to um, consider and improve the how just means that the next organization that they go to, they're going to have the same problem unless, unless they get lucky and they go to an organization that doesn't care about that. 
right? So then it just becomes like a matching game as opposed to a development game where you can say like, wait a second, this is important. I can develop this and improve my odds of making it to the next level. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So let me ask you a question. No one likes to find this stuff out when they get rejected for the promotion, right? Like, like that's a bitter pill to swallow because now you're dealing with the disappointment as well as like, if you even get it, you know, the feedback. But let's assume, let's assume we're working at a very transparent organization and, and I was up for promotion and I don't get it. And then I get this really caring, frank feedback from my boss. It's still going to be difficult for me, like ego-wise to process it because I'm charged, right? What have you seen works? What can people do to figure this stuff out before that kind of late crossroads, right? Like, like what can they do to sort of move things in their favor, like earlier on in their career? Two things are important in the work that I do. One, when I work with organizations to build a collaborative culture, we talk about what that looks like, how they expect people to behave. If people don't behave that way or can't behave that way because they don't know, what are you gonna do? What's the remedy? The company has a opportunity to say, this is how we roll in this place. Mm-hmm. And so the, initially when they see behaviors that don't fit the company's value or mission, they have programs in place to manage that. For the individual, pay attention to feedback that you're getting, not just in your job, but in your life. Somewhere along the line, you've exhibited that behavior before. And somebody has said, come on, Joe, give me a break. Mm-hmm. What happened there? Look at that. What happened there? What, what, why was Joe annoyed? You know, not, not angry, but just a little peaked at what you said. Mm-hmm. So you have to be observant of your own behavior and pick up clues um, as you go along the way. Have a mentor, somebody that you can talk with things about, um, this is what I did, this is what happened, I'm not sure, what do you think? Be part of classes. Everybody needs a couple of classes in business behavior. Even if you think you're terrific, there are things that you may not see and that you don't know, especially if you're earlier in your career. So look into those kinds of classes. You can get them online, get a book to read, and look at what it takes to have a, a, a a presence that will want people to work with you or a presence that will want people to push you on to the next level. Um, And it starts early. It starts in, you know, maybe even high school to start to look at how you are behaving and how you are received in social interactions. So I love what you're saying, Doris. I mean, some things that really resonated with me Uh, about what you just said is, you know, those concepts like self-awareness, concepts of getting a perspective beyond your own, right? Because we often Mm -hmm. have a very limited perspective of ourselves. Um, And the last thing you talked about in terms of um, it's never too early to, uh, I don't know if I would call it a skill, but maybe to develop this attitude of being open to feedback and you know, wanting to improve and having sort of like a healthy attitude where you, you are aware of the feedback and 
you can take benefit of it. And think about how that multiplies over the years. Like, let's say you start that just like in middle school, you get feedback from your teachers, which means you do better in high school, which means you get to a better college, which means you get into a good job. Once you're at the job, you get fee. I mean, it's just such a virtuous cycle when you can really receive feedback, process it, and sort of action it in a positive manner. Absolutely. And that when we talk about being gracious, that is part of the responsibility of what I call a gracious leader, of being able to understand that everything matters, that it's not about perfection, it's about practice, Mm. that other people can open venues or open um, lenses that you may not have. When you get feedback, it doesn't mean that you need to toss out everything that you've already, that you've done forever. But there's a nugget in there that's going to take you to the next step, be it in life or your job or or relationship. And that is what helps us to grow. I like the distinction that I hear you making between everything matters versus everything has to be perfect, right? Which is not what we're saying here. We're saying everything matters and is important, but it doesn't mean everything has to be perfect or it's a disaster. Exactly. What Marston says is that every thought you think, every comment you make, makes a difference um, in you and in your world. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about whether you, how you walk from here to the refrigerator to get a glass of water, <laughs> but how you think about various things. I mean, how many times have you heard people say, oh, teenagers are so difficult? Right. Well, that thought will determine how they, te- how they talk to, how they receive, how they manage, how they help every teenager. And teenagers are not difficult. They are people who are in the process of evolving. They may do some things that aren't easy for us or easy for their parents, but to just give them that whole label of difficult changes how we react to them, how we think about them, how we present them. And that's what what Marston means when he says it makes a difference in you and your world. If you see them as people who are evolving, who need support, who are not perfect as the rest of us aren't, it changes how you look at them and how you work with them. So if employees come into your company and you understand that they are so technically proficient that they can get anything done that you need, but they don't work very well with people in customer service, that can be fixed. It doesn't have to be that way. These are the company values. This is the way we do things. Civility is very important here. Sustaining relationships is very important here. And we will teach you how to do that. The the problem gets to be when we have expectations of people, number one, we don't tell them, or number two, we don't help them to meet those expectations by acquiring the behavior that is needed. Well, what I love about what you're saying is this concept of labels, right? And how that can affect actions which are in and of themselves just an action, right? Like something Mm -hmm. is delivered to a certain level of quality at a certain time, but the label we put on the person actually informs 
how we receive it. Uh, uh, let me share with you an experiment um, that was done. You may have heard of this where they took a group of, um, I think they were like elementary school kids and they randomly divided them into two groups, right? Like randomly, right? So neither group is smarter than the other. They're just two random groups of elementary school kids. And one group they picked and they told their teachers, these kids are special, right? They're high performing, you know, high potential. These are your star students. And then the other group, they didn't say they were dumb or anything, but they're just like regular average students, right? But really it's a randomized group, right? The, the, the kids are, are pretty much equivalent groups using statistics. What do you think happened when the teachers evaluated the behaviors, the, the, the grades, the performance of those two groups at the end of the year or semester? I can imagine the, the so-called star group accelerated. Yeah. Because that was the expectation of them. The other group perhaps maintained their performance or perhaps their performance declined, but it did not improve to the degree that the first group improved. And that group did not have any more, as we talked about, um, abilities than the second group. So that's the, so that's where everything matters. Every, mm -hmm. every word that you speak, yeah. every thought, it makes a difference in you and your world. And your world may be beyond your home. It may be the school that you're in or, or the uh, corporation that you're in. And so as leaders, we have an, we have an, you know, I don't even want to say responsibility. I want to say we have an opportunity mm. to help people reach their peak. Mm -hmm. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes training. It takes a desire. Mm -hmm. It takes the how. It takes the process mm. to make people better. I have a one of my, to show you that this is not linear. I mean, all of this is converged for me now, whereas as I was going along, I didn't see these things as, as key. I had, was out of graduate school and I was in my first job in corporate America. Mm -hmm. And the company was acquiring another business and they were very excited about this business. And they were bringing that CEO in and they were having a you know, a, a shindig for, for the executives and, and those of us newly hired. And it was a special occasion and it was going to be held at the top of the corporation in this fantastic um, venue that they had that overlooked the city, blah, blah, blah. So I, I, I set a goal that I was going to sit next to the chairman of the company. Nice. So a friend of mine who had been in a corporation for a while, she said, well, what are you going to do? And we, we plotted out. I won't go through all of that for you right now, but we plotted out a strategy for me to be able to sit next to this person. Now, I was I was out of graduate school, so I was in my mid-20s, only Black female, one of two Black females in the company. Uh -huh. So I would say that I was visible, okay? <laughs> so anyway, so our strategy worked, and what the strategy was to see where he put his hand on a chair, that meant where he was going to sit. So I had a briefcase. I didn't have a purse because a purse didn't have any status, but a briefcase did. I put my briefcase there. Sure enough, that's where he sat. And I sat next to him on his right side. Well, as we were, um, as we were talking, and, and first of all, when I sat down, everybody was kind of like, well, who is she? We know all the, 
well, you know, we know all the senior people. He was very, now I recognize it as being very gracious. And he sat next to me and he talked to me about where I was from and all these other kinds of things. And then when he leaned over to pick up his wine on his right side, there was a lipstick stain on his wine, which meant I had been drinking his wine. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. <laughs> uh, and I thought, oh, my goodness. And he looked at the glass and he looks up and he says to all of the people at the table, who wants a beer? Mm-hmm. And everybody, because he's the chairman, says, oh, me, 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 me. He orders a round of beer. And I realized that he did that so that he did not have to ask for another glass for his wine or another glass of wine. He took my, first of all, I'm at his table, Mm -hmm. uninvited. (laughs) He took my feelings into consideration and he did not order another wine nor bring attention to it. He diverted the attention. He, he got beer for everybody, everybody. And and of course, and everybody started singing. It was, was amazing. It was amazing. And I did not realize that until all I know is that I dodged the bullet. But I realized later that this powerful man Mm -hmm. was concerned about me at that table Mm -hmm. and chose a different way of getting something to drink Mm -hmm. that would not embarrass me and that would involve the entire table and involve me. What a lesson on being gracious and powerful. Yeah. Yeah, that is an amazing okay. story. <laughs> it's and I mean I lived it, and so I know how true it is. And of course, where I where I could have done better is when you're going to sit at the table. If you're going to get to the table, you need to know what's going on at the table. So I teach <laughs> that to people too. You know, it's very simple. How to which wine glass is yours and which is not is is easy. It's 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 basic information. It's not rocket science. So that one thing could have derailed me and did it, as far as I know, I don't know if it did or not, but I know that he spent that time to make sure that I was comfortable. That to me is graciousness, paying attention to the small thing, that everything matters, that it's important that this person who didn't come prepared to the table feels as much a part of it as anybody else. Well, I love that story. And if I could call out just a few things that really, you know, I noticed about what he he did and then the story in general. Um, One, uh, you didn't even recognize that he did it at the time and he didn't call any attention to it. So it wasn't done for any sort of credit, right? Like he wasn't doing it to be like, oh, what a great guy. He's so considerate, right? Like he did it because inwardly he has that gracious feeling, right? Um, And then the other thing that was so interesting was he didn't have to do it, right? He did not have to do it. He'd be well well within his rights to maybe not embarrass you, but well within his rights to handle it a different way where people could like kind of draw their own judgments and kind of sort of judge you harshly, right? If, and, but he protected you from that, right? Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, some amazing elements of grace, right? That it's not done for credit. It's not done because you have to do it. It's given freely by the person who is gracious. And it was seamless. Mm -hmm. He didn't sit there and say, well, now how am I going to do this? He just kind of, he just kind of reached for it and looked at it. And then he said, who wants a beer? I mean, it was boom, boom, boom. And the waitress came and brought beer and other people at other tables are like, what's going on at that table? You know, why are they having beer and we don't? So he, um, 
after that, he stands up and he says, maybe we ought to do a round of beer for the whole building. Everybody was like, yay, yay. It was an amazing experience. So It was so, a gracious, small, gracious act. So let me ask you, right? Great story. Everyone would have loved to be in the room. Where do you think, or when you talk to people about gracious leadership, how is that generated, right? Like, like where does that come from? Because it's not enough to tell people you should be gracious and then maybe they aren't naturally gracious and they're trying to think about how to be more gracious. What have you learned or what do you teach in terms of how that's generated or, or what that really means to be gracious? Yes, I, he- I hear your question. We talk about um, mindset mm-hmm. and that's what Marston's essay is for me about the the mindset that other people have as much uh, right as you, and then developing skills, and I'll talk about some of those, and then executing those skills as flawlessly as you as you can. Mm-hmm. So the mindset is that we're all in this place right now. Uh, we all deserve to be here. We all belong, and civility is one of our. Um, values. And so I will treat everyone in a civil manner, whether Mm -hmm. I agree with them or not, Mm -hmm. whether they speak to me or not, I will say good morning, because that's my mindset that everything I do matters. Every comment, every thought I think makes a difference. And it will make a difference in the, in this collaborative culture, it will make a difference in the relationship, it will make a difference in the building in the business. Mm -hmm. So that's the mindset piece of it. The skill development, I think the biggest skill that we can all have in this particular time in our life is how to resolve conflict, recognizing what conflict is, and then learning how to resolve it as a part of doing business. Conflict is not when it gets to be a big thing where um, where there's a riot in, in Washington, DC, that's conflict is smaller. Conflict is between you and I, we have a, a difference of opinion and we just let it go. We don't try to resolve it, try to find the common ground in that particular instance. And so we let it go. And then when there's a issue where we really need to find common ground, so much bad blood or negative ideas have filled, have built up that we can't get behind those kinds of things. So how do you skillfully resolve conflict with grace and diplomacy? And it's, it's really addressing it and recognizing it and saying, you know, Joe, when we were at lunch today, um, this comment came across the table and I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure what you meant by it, but it's kind of stuck with me. Can we talk a little bit about that? That takes a lot of courage. Oh yeah, big time. Takes a lot of courage. It takes a determination to keep, uh, to, to stay as free as you can from your pipeline being clogged with all those little kinds of things. So managing conflict is a, is a very big part of, um, of being a gracious leader. And then you, your social behavior. How do I do things? I mean, etiquette is, is, um, is put together for a reason. It's not because somebody decided that you should have your pinky up, which of course is, is wrong. There's no, it pinkies down. There's no pinky up and all of this. 
but, but don't it, get Doris started. <laughs> it, it, it is because it is a lubricant in terms of, of how we how we deal with each other. And so there are some things that are standard. And so knowing those standard things puts us all on the same page. Mm. So that's the so those are some of the skills that we help people to develop as they as they move on this journey to be a gracious leader. That is super, super helpful. So you know the the conflict um, and and sort of the etiquette. Let me ask you a question or or make a observation about the conflict and and would love to get your perspective on it. Um, if you take any sort of negotiation classes or um, you know, read up at all about negotiation and conflict management. A, a lot of people will say, and I tend to agree with this, that conflict in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's actually necessary, right? It's a it's, good thing. Yeah, it's all in how you resolve and deal with the conflict, which is what I heard you talking about, to do it in a gracious way, to, to just agree to disagree when you can't figure things out and not have it spin out of control and get worse. Um, it seems to me that it's almost a mistake to try to work in an organization with zero conflict. It seems to me that that would not bring out the best in the organization or the people. Just curious to get your thoughts on that. It's not possible. Hmm. It is not possible to work or live anywhere without there being conflict. If you understand what conflict is, it is the smallest thing. I mean, I'll give you an example. Let's say um, that whenever we go to lunch, I pick the place. Mm-hmm. Joe and I, let's go to lunch today. And you say, okay, how about Marshall's ice cream store? <laughs> no, I don't eat that. How do we, why don't we go to McDonald's? So we go to McDonald's. The next time, Something else comes up and we go to the McDonald's and you're getting a little annoyed about this because you're feeling that your preferences are not being given any um, attention. Uh-huh. That seems like a very small thing. So when you're in a meeting with someone and another idea comes up, you're feeling that your eating preferences didn't get any attention may seep into how you respond to what that person's request is Mm. because that conflict from the eating situation was not resolved. Whereas it might've been very simple to say, you know, Doris, we went to McDonald's the last time. That's not my favorite place either. Let's see if we can find some place that you and I both agree on. Yeah. You've found common ground. You've said, wait a minute, I matter in this this situation and the other person hears you saying that you matter. So conflict is just that small. And when we recognize it and we practice it, because it's a practice, it's not perfect, it's not perfection. So when we practice it on that small level, we learn how to speak about it. We learn the words that use that we use. One of the tips that I give people is to Google the top 10 words that fuel conflict. Interesting. And take them out of your vocabulary. Google the top 10 words that resolve conflict and put those in your vocabulary. <laughs> Can I share with you something that, um, that I've become acutely aware of, um, let's say within the last year, right? So um, there's this exercise that um, I think I first learned it when they had like a training at our organization. It was like, um, 
was like an improv comedy type training. Those are very mm -hmm. popular now, right? And they did the exercise, yes and, right? So you take turns talking and the only rule is when you when it's your turn, you have to start by saying yes, which is, you know, not maybe not agreeing, but like symbolizing acknowledgement of what the other mm -hmm. person said and then adding to it. So you and I could be talking about where we should go to lunch, to use your example. And you could say, Joe, I'd like to go to McDonald's, right? What would be the typical thing that you would hear back from someone? How would they start the sentence that the person who doesn't want to go to McDonald's? No, no, no I don't want to go to McDonald's. Exactly. <laughs> I don't exactly, want to go to McDonald's. Right? So, so imagine, imagine I still don't want to go to McDonald's and I say, yes, McDonald's sounds like a great idea. We went there last week. How about Burger King? So what I've noticed, and it's not that you should start every, you'd, you'll be psychotic. They'll think you're crazy if, every, if you start saying yes and all over the place. But the point is, and, and to your earlier point that the words matter, no is a very triggering word, right? Absolutely. If you say something to me and I start my response and I say no, and then I go to that, all of a sudden I've put you in a corner. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I've given you, you know, my, my talk to the hand. I've given you the Heisman. I, I've sort of pushed you away. Right. The second thing, which is pretty similar and is equally, I think, um, I don't want to say offensive, but equally off putting is Doris, I agree with everything you said. What's the next word about to come out of my mouth? But yes, yes. It's like you just negated everything good that you just said when you threw the butt in there because definitionally it's a it's a it's a negating kind of kind of word conjunction or my grammar is terrible i don't know what that is but you see what i mean and i think part of graciousness the way i hear you talk about it is being aware of those sorts of little subtleties and in the way you communicate Absolutely. you know not not and people are not trying to put you down but it, it has that effect right? It has that effect. You can say the same exact thing, have the same exact position, but just like, you know, the CEO or the boss with the thing, you can do it in a way that, that kind of helps people rather than hurts them. Absolutely. What another word that puts people in a corner is why. Oh, big one. Especially for adults. I mean, it, it happens with children, but especially for adults. And you'll say, well, I'm not going to go to whatever. And then somebody looks at you and says, why? <laughs> well, that's saying, that's saying, explain yourself. It's a challenge. It's a, it's a challenge to you. Those kinds of words, I, I know they exist in the, the English language and there's some yeah. place that they're helpful, yeah. but they're not helpful when you're trying to be a gracious leader. Yes. There are other ways to say that. And so graciousness is about civility. It's about process. It's about how. It's about relationships taking the extra time to learn how to mitigate conflict. Mm, mm. And conflict is, is part of it. Part of graciousness too is, is exposing beauty, the way mm. we walk into a room. And I know you do some work with executive presence. I mean, there are people whose, whose presence changes the temperature in the room. Oh, wow, yeah. For good or for ill. There are people that you want to be around because there's just something about them. I was watching um, Charles Barkley on, on one of the sports channel, and he was talking about being with Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, he said, being with Michael Jordan and watching the crowd is, he said, is, is an experience like none other. He said, mm -hmm. I was playing pool with Michael. 
they came out, people from the restaurant or whatever came out. He said, and they put these two stanchions with a red rope on it. He was, I was wondering, what were they doing? And they let people in. People came in and they just stood and watched Michael play pool. <laughs> Charles Barkley was so funny. He said, they didn't say anything. They didn't ask him any questions. They didn't move. They just watched him play pool. And he said, when he would hit something, you would see the crowd say, oh, Michael just got a ball in. He said, it was amazing. <laughs> he said, they just wanted to be in his presence. presence now, yeah. there are people like that, and they're not celebrities. They're friends, or we make them, meet, meet them at a business meeting. But there's just an aura about them yeah. where you want to be in their presence. How do you break that down? And when you look at it, it's it's the way they present themselves. It's the word that they use. They they exude some grace about them, and it draws people in. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, sort of speaking about executive presence, um, you know, I think a really important principle that people misunderstand, uh, and I think you would agree with this is that that thing, that that elusive thing that you just feel, but you can't um, put your finger on it, that starts from inside the person. It doesn't start Absolutely. from the clothes they wear or the move they make. It starts deep down inside from the inside. core of Absolutely. who they are. And it flows through everything they do, say, think. It, it's the Marston quote again. That's exactly what Everything it is. matters. Everything yeah. matters. That's what, I mean, that's, exactly what that is. I was at a conference and one woman came over to me and she said, you must meet Jack. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, why do I have to meet? She said, he's just so, he's just so charming. Okay. So sometimes for women, charming is one of those trigger words. Like, okay, sure. he's going to whisper in my ear, you know? So I said, okay, I'll meet Jack. Well, Jack was charming. I mean, yeah. it was a delight to talk with him. It was, we were in a crowded room. It was a, a, a kind of a bar type situation. Mm -hmm. It was as if I was the only person in the room talking with him. And it wasn't a flirtation. It wasn't a, you know, you're a girl, I'm a guy. Let's see what it was person to person. We had an mm -hmm. excellent conversation, but there was just something about Jack. Mm -hmm. And Jack was charming to use her word, but he was just very gracious and he was very skillful mm -hmm. um, in the way the conversation went and just, he knew how to move through that conversation in that room. And that was, a, he had a presence. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think that example, you know, one of the things I can glean um, from what you're saying is it sounds like whoever he's talking to, you know, he is keenly focused on them, who they are as a person, where they may be emotionally right now. Like his focus is not on what is Jack going to get out of it, right? Exactly. Why is Jack talking? It's like, who is Doris or who is whoever? What are they about? What are their expectations? What are their dreams? Whatever that is. But it, the focus was on you, not on what you can do for him or what he wants, but rather who you are in a sense. Exactly. Now, and I'm sure when Jack has these conversations, there's a strategic purpose behind this, you know? Sure. It was a business meeting. So he was there for business like the rest of us. But there was this presence and this understanding of how to create a relationship mm -hmm. is what I felt from that conversation. And that relate the creation was focusing on, uh, on who are you, Doris? Mm -hmm. and talking with me and, and a little bit of yes and, 
mm-hmm. if I building on the conversation that perhaps I was offering in that particular moment, it was it was very worthwhile. Mm-hmm. We exchanged some ideas, and I haven't seen Jack since that time. But it was mm-hmm. a, it was a worthwhile moment of time to spend with him. Mm. Interesting. So, um, I want to ask you one last question. Um, love how you talk about gracious leadership. I think we need more of that um, in the world. I think anyone who has worked for a gracious leader has really benefited and and learned, even if it's years later, right? <laughs> you realize what it right, is. Right. It, it impacts you in, in on many levels. Um, my question for you is, you know, when I just think about grace like as a generic concept, right? Like just in the world, one of the things that comes to mind is that there's an economy of movement, right? The person or the thing moves or happens without any extraneous movement, and it happens at exactly the right time, right? The timing is when it's supposed to happen. And I'm just curious if you see some of that in what you teach and what you see from other gracious leaders, that that sense of, of, of timing and, and just just doing the exact right amount rather than trying to do too much or do too little. If I'm understanding you, you're saying that it, that it doesn't take a lot of effort. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with you because, and it, because a couple of things, because it's not about perfection. So you don't walk in with a script. Mm-hmm. It's about your mindset and then your and and your skills. And so you're practicing that in, in each situation you're practicing. So because you come in with that, you know, I'm I'm practicing. I mean, I'm not I'm not so tied up into this perfect outcome that you're a little bit more relaxed in terms of what it is that you're doing. You have a feeling of this is what I know and that this is what I'm I'm offered, and we'll see where where it ends up. I also think that gracious leadership has a spiritual component to it, not necessarily a religious component to it, but a spiritual component that, and, and, and I, it's expressed in this sign that I saw for St. Barnabas Hospital, where it says, your heart does not beat for you alone. Oh, wow. And the gracious person realizes that this moment is not just for me. Yeah. That there are other people in the room, in the, in the building, in the, in the world, and I'm just part of that. So there is an effortless about it and a connection about it that makes you want to make, let others be who they are and get better as they do. You're not there as the person in time to tie all the loose ends up or, or make them do better, but you're there to just offer your presence and what you know in that particular moment. Love it, love it. So let's move on to our next step, right? Now that people know this, you know, big lie, which is, you know, how you do stuff doesn't matter, right? That the truth is, you know, every little bit matters. What is um, one sort of concrete step that people can take now, like today, to start to implement this knowledge? Well, I, I mentioned a couple. One is Googling what are the top 10 words that fuel conflict? And then the top 10 words that help conflict to be a lot more, um, to, to be easier to manage. That's, that's one thing. 
you know, I always appreciate when people talk with other others about getting feedback for themselves. Mm-hmm. So say, you know, Joe, I don't want to put you on the spot. I just need a little bit of help. You know, I want to be at some point, I want to be the head of a Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. What kinds of things would you tell me from knowing me that you see that I do well? And then those things that you would want me to improve on. So could you give me some feedback? Now, I mean, you don't want to go to somebody who you know doesn't like you because <laughs> well, there is some benefit in that, I, I, I would say. But invest in getting feedback and yeah. how you are perceived in the world. Yeah. It's not good, bad. It's just information that you can use to decide or not decide how you're going to use it. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. And I, I think it's, I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful to say if you're in a romantic relationship with a, a partner to say, what would you like for me to do better for you? That would make you happy. Yeah. That question that you asked me, what makes you happy and yeah. how can I can contribute to that? Yeah, that's a powerful question for sure. So Doris, it's been wonderful learning from you on your insights and and gracious leadership and and love the stories that you shared. Um, If our guests want to learn more about what you're working on and how to get in touch with you, um, what would you tell the audience? They can find me on LinkedIn and connect with me and message me. And that's a good way for us to keep in touch. Excellent. And I'm looking forward to your podcast. And, and where can they and find your book? The book is out of print right now. Okay. Okay. Um, so hopefully at some point we're, we're thinking about um, re-releasing it, maybe in time for the podcast. Nice. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you, Doris, for sharing your big lie with us. I can't wait to see what happens next. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I, I truly enjoyed this. Hi, this is Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor. I have an exciting update to share. My third book, Unlock Your Connection, Feel Like Family, is available on Amazon.com. Using universal principles, we explore how to unlock more professional success by learning how to connect to anyone, anytime, anywhere. Together with Unlock Your Charisma and Unlock Your Executive Presence, These three books form the first segment of my Unlock Your Leadership series. To learn more, go to www.connectioncounselor.com. For questions or to inquire about personal or team coaching, email me at joe at connectioncounselor.com. Thank you so much for listening to The Big Lie. We hope it has an amazing impact on your life. I only have one favor to ask. If you enjoy the show, please tell the one person you know who needs to hear about it and share the link. That's it. Together, we can vanquish these illusions that are holding us back.